Hello, hello. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the production value for this podcast is already off to a really great start. Um, so I hope that you have been enjoying the book. If you don't have it yet, please reach out. I'll send you one. You can grab one up here at church or you can uh, have one quickly shipped to you through the link attached here. But don't miss out on this. Uh, there's so much good stuff inside of this book and we don't have time to to do a book study uh, with our full worship and production team at the Fellowship Church. That would just be a little... A little too big, I think, so this way we can all stay together, stay in the same chapters, and have a, maybe a little mini-review on Thursday nights or Sunday mornings um, with the team when you are scheduled. Again, we're going through chapters 1 and 2 this week, chapter 1, Loving God, chapter 2, My Gethsemane, and that starts out with a few intro questions that I wanted to ask. Uh, number one, which does God deem more important in your life, ministry or prayer? And you might may already have an answer to these, but go ahead and read through those chapters if you hadn't already, and you're going to be able to find these answers in the chapters ahead. The second question is, what are the four elements essential to every expression of faith? What are the four elements essential to every expression of faith? And lastly, good spiritual counselors don't heal anyone. What do they do? Chapter 1 starts out uh, with a story about an ear-popping, miserable flight to Seattle. And having lived personally in Seattle for four years, I feel like I've been on this flight more than a few times myself. The author gets prescribed one medicine as a cure-all. It's kind of a funny or frustrating story, but it's, it's a warning about using one medication to treat everything. And as believers, we can be guilty of this and narrowing our approach to God. On page 7, Gary Thomas says... Expecting all Christians to have a certain type of quiet time can wreak havoc in a church or small group. Excited about meaningful to us approaches to the Christian life, we sometimes assume that if others do not experience the same thing, something must be wrong with their faith. End of quote. I'm certainly guilty of this. We haven't gotten to the actual quote-unquote sacred pathways yet, but if you haven't guessed it, One of mine is the enthusiast. (laughs) My response to God's word or a new fire track by one of my favorite worship leaders makes sense to me. My response always makes sense to me, right? But why others may not react to the same information or the same revelation or the same worship or the same uh, scripture the same way uh, was always a mystery to me. Why people needed to wake up at 5 a.m. to do a couple hours of intercessory prayer in the closet was also a mystery to me. I tried that once and woke up around noon in a closet, (laughs) but I felt judged at times for not having the same early morning spiritual fervor. This book helped me to decode some of this. One of our primary goals for you in this study is to respect other people's gateways into worship while also learning to lead those same people in worship. Um, Here's a little reading from the book itself. Jesus accepted the worship of Peter's mother-in-law, But he refused to force Mary, the sister of Martha, to also worship in that way. Mary was allowed to express her worship in the silence of adoration, not in the hustle and bustle of active service. Good spiritual directors understand that people have different spiritual temperaments, that what feeds one doesn't feed all. 
All right, look at how on page 8 and 9 we see Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, Ezekiel, and John, as well as many other people from the Bible, had widely different ways of demonstrating love for God. A sacred pathway very simply describes the way we relate to God and how we draw near to Him. We won't have just one, though. We will have predispositions to certain ones and not so much to others. Here's a brief overview of the pathways we will explore and measure ourselves against in the coming chapters. The naturalist, loving God outdoors. The sensate, loving God with the senses. Traditionalists, loving God through ritual and symbol. Ascetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Activists, loving God through confrontation. That sounds fun. Caregivers, loving God by loving others. Enthusiasts, Loving God with mystery and celebration. I like that word, celebration. I think you probably know that about me already. Contemplatives, loving God through adoration. Intellectuals, loving God with the mind. And those are the sacred pathways. As you read through, I want you to be looking out for those. And as you take the assessment, see if it comes out as you imagine. See what those things are within you. They may not have always been the same way. You may not always have been... Uh, a contemplative, maybe. Maybe you are now. Maybe as time has gone by, uh, you interact with God in that way. But be on the lookout. We want to be able to identify ourselves and lead ourselves into worship, lead ourselves in those sacred pathways, and also others uh, in our congregation. Chapter 2, Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was a sacred place to Jesus. It wasn't by accident that Judas found him there. Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus because Luke 21:37 says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the sacred place of retreat. Where do you go when you need to hear from God? Where is your Gethsemane? In my experience, if you set aside intentional time to step away and write a book review or do a book review podcast, you will get a podcast done. By the same token, when we set aside daily time to embrace God and hear what He says about us, those things come to pass as well. We cannot get anything out when we don't put anything in. As you go through this week, keep that precept in front of you for your Christian walk, for your work, for your relationships, your spouse, your family, or your work relationships, your giftings and callings. We're not getting anything out that we don't put in. And the same thing goes with our relationship with Christ. Prayer and ministry go hand in hand. Everyone listening to this has felt the stress of a Sunday morning. Hopefully the primary thing we're engaging with during ministry is the Holy Spirit and not anxiety. However, whoever acts like worship services are anxiety-free events for leaders has never led one. There must be times of ministry and there must be times of retreat. There will be times of battle um, in the Christian walk for sure, but there will also be times of healing. When we realize this, we learn that we don't have to feel guilt in our times of peace and prayer, as they are just as necessary, if not more so, as ministry. Hunger does not lead to more hunger. Hunger leads to fullness. So prepare well. Retreat to your Gethsemane regularly. Regularly. <laughs> Instead of anxiety, more often than not, you will have a great sense of preparedness and faith in your ministry. So real quick, here's the wrap-up, and I'll give you the answer to those questions we asked at the beginning of this. And the first question was, which does God deem more important in your life, ministry or prayer? Uh, really, the answer is neither. Uh, really, it's kind of a trick question. Um, Jesus never forsook one for the other. 
but there are certain types of ministry that can't occur without prayer. And so prayer is really is our communication with God, right? It's incredibly important. And so, but both are present uh, in, in a complete and a fulfilled walk of faith. Two, what are the four elements essential to every expression of faith? Uh, you'll find this answer on page 28. Loving God with all our heart or adoration, with all our soul or our will, with all of our mind, belief, and with all of our strength or our physical body. Lastly, number three, good spiritual counselors don't heal anyone. What do they do? Well, the answer to that is they try to bring the troubled soul into God's presence, clear away the confusion and subterfuge, I love that word, of sin and self, and let God's Spirit have His way. That answer's on page 29, and that really, really helped me this week. Um, as leaders, a lot of times we feel like we have to have the answer to every question, to every biblical mystery, um, to every problem in ministry that comes our way. Before we start to do anything, it's just not it's just not true. Our job as spiritual leaders and counselors, as worship leaders, is to lead people into God's presence and clear away the confusion of sin and let them see God clearly. Um, not see us clearly, but to see Him. Last question. Have you ever judged someone's worship or pursuit of God? Have you been judged for your own? Um, you know, we're all guilty of this kind of thing in the Christian walk looking at someone else's interpretation of Scripture or response to Scripture or Christian walk and judging them. And I really believe that this book is going to help open up our eyes to how people worship, how people um, are discipled, how people understand God, and, and give us a little bit more patience and the ability to, again, lead those people to God in these different sacred pathways. Let's be appreciative of those many different ways that people pursue God. Hey, thanks for joining in. If you are scheduled this week, please come with your answers to those first few questions. And if you have a, a place, a song, a chapter of the Bible, a sermon series, or a book that is your Gethsemane, anything like that, that is your, your retreat, uh, we want to hear about it at rehearsal. Next Monday, we will be reviewing chapters three and four. We'll see you then. Have a good one. Oh,